The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. For those of you that don't know me by now, my name is Chris Thurden. A lot of people call me Third. <laughs> what's up, what's up? Um... If you are new here tonight, I want to welcome you. I just want to say I'm so glad you're here. It is, uh, it always blows my mind that new people keep coming here. And I just want to thank you for coming out. And I'm excited to get to know you, hopefully. And uh, please keep coming out because we want to be your friends. Um, solar eclipse. All right. I asked you about that. This summer was a solar eclipse. It was crazy. Um, like America went nuts. Uh, for the first solar eclipse in a while. The crazy thing is, like, another one's going to be in America in, like, two years. But everyone was acting like, this is the first time this happened ever. Um, but it was dope. Uh, I was, so, if you don't know, the solar eclipse is going to be at its peak. It was going to be its best, um, going right over Salem, Oregon. Uh, and my family lives in Salem, Oregon. So, uh, when it was the middle of August, it was time for the eclipse. Me and Brooke got in my car and we drove down to Salem to hang out with my family and watch the eclipse. We watched it, it was cool. If you, um, if you saw it or didn't see it, it was actually pretty dope. Like, yeah, I, I don't know how to explain it. I was kind of overwhelmed in the moment. I wasn't expecting to be so moved as I was or shook. Like I was just sitting there, like I was goofing around wearing my glasses, staring at the sun too long. And like, then it happened and it was just like all around you was sunset and it was dark and it was crazy. Anyways, irrelevant. Um, if you haven't experienced an eclipse, experience one. It'll change your life. Uh, and that's the talk. Um, No, but we did that. And in Salem, with the solar eclipse, what happened was there was actually an extra one million people that came to Salem to watch the eclipse. This is a big deal. People, like, flocked to this thing. And uh, me and Brooke were there, and we the eclipse was on a Monday, so we watched it, and we had to take off uh, because during the summer, we have this thing called the Summer Inn. You should check it out. And uh, I was speaking. I was covering for a friend the next day. I was speaking at the inn the next night. Um, And so we had to get back on Monday. So we took off. We're like, okay, we'll watch the eclipse. We'll hang out for a couple hours. Then we um, we took off in the afternoon. There was a million extra people on the road, like literally a million extra people on the road. We took off in the afternoon to come back to Seattle. What normally should be like a four, maybe four and a half, five hour drive if it takes too long, took us like 10 hours. No joke. We got into Seattle at three in the morning. Um... Brooke was not very happy. I was very tired. It was, yeah, quite the, quite the ordeal. And normally, what would happen, I'd get into Seattle at 3 in the morning. I'd sleep in the next day. But me, in all my foresight, had planned an eye appointment the next morning at 7 a.m. <laughs> in Bellevue. And so I had to wake up at like 6 a.m. the next morning, Tuesday morning, to go to the eye doctor. Also, because I was covering this talk for a friend, I had not yet written this talk. So it's the day of the inn, haven't written my talk, I have an eye appointment at 7 in the morning, and I'm running on two and a half hours of sleep. This is just setting the stage. Go to the eye doctor, get there on time, it's great. Got my contact, prescription, and then I bought new glasses two weeks later, and I only wear those. Um, and 
So it comes to the implanting meeting. We have the implanting meeting. It's going great. Uh, and I, <laughs> I say to our staff, which at this point was me, Mike, and Brooke. That was it. Um, <laughs> everyone else left. <laughs> this is good things. Uh, I say to them, guys, I'm super tired. and run out two and a half hours of sleep and go home and take a nap. I promise I'll be there tonight. The inn starts a little earlier in the summer. It starts at 7. I'm like, I'll be there at 6.30. It'll be great. Go home. Take. I'm going to take a nap. Get ready. I uh, had written my talk in like three hours. I felt really good about it. Not really. Um, and uh, But I needed sleep. So I take a nap. I set four alarms. I kid you not. I'm like, I know I'm tired. I know I need to wake up. I set four alarms and I sleep. And I sleep and I sleep and I sleep and then I wake up to a phone call and I answer the phone and it's Brooke and she says, where are you? And I look at the time on my phone, it says 7.30. And I was like, oh, fill in your favorite expletive there. <laughs> I probably said it. I was shocked. Um, but in that moment, I was wide awake. I went from being in a very, very, very deep sleep to being wide awake. Fun fact, if you put your phone on silent, I don't know how my phone ended up on silent, but if you put your phone on silent, um, if you get a phone call from like one of your favorites more than like two or three times, it'll break through that silence and they'll actually call you. So that's what happened. So <laughs> that's a good thing. Uh, and I woke up. And this, I literally, this is what happened. I woke up, I was wide awake, and then I realized, I remembered what I was supposed to do. I was like, oh my goodness, I have to speak. I should be speaking right now. Um, and I make some conscious decisions. I remember what I need to do. All right, I need to put pants on. Pants on, great. I need to put a shirt on. Shirt on, great. I need to um, grab my backpack, my wallet, my phone, and my keys. Awesome. Do all that, run out the door. It was like this weird, like, rapid decision-making that I made, and I... I Figured it all out. I got out the door within like 30 seconds and made it to the end as the, like in the middle of the last song before I was supposed to get up to talk. And I show up and I'm like, hey, what's up, Mike? I'm good, man. Don't worry about it. Um, get up and I give a talk. Nobody knew that I had literally just woke up. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, but isn't it true, though, like, when we are suddenly jolted awake, like, our senses are heightened, and, and it's, it's crazy how just this, this, we can go from being fully asleep to fully awake so quickly um, when the circumstances are right. And that's what tonight's talk is about. The past couple of weeks, we've been interacting with this series on a new year, renewed you, and we've been looking at the book of Daniel, and Mike started us off talking to us about, talking to, us about Daniel and who he was, and that he, him and his friends were some Israelites that were um, taken away from their home and brought to Babylon, and they were living this life in exile. And they stayed very true to who they were in the midst of these situations that were telling them to be different than who they were. And then we moved on to Mike talking to us about the, the tension that can come with hard conversations, with facing these difficult facts, with facing things that we don't always want to face, and the tension that can be brought into that because of the hard things in life. And then last week, Kelsey talked to us about... Um, living in the fiery furnace, being in that space where nothing seems to be right, but the fact that Jesus shows up and he's with us and he walks with us through that fiery furnace. And tonight we're going to look at a couple of chapters um, of Daniel 4 and 5. Um, I'm not going to lie. 
I listen to lots of sermons on Daniel 4 and 5. Well, not lots, because hardly anybody preaches on Daniel chapter 5. And then Daniel chapter 4, every sermon I try to listen to, uh, they would like read the text and then would talk for like an hour about something else that they just wanted to talk about. So tonight, um, we're looking at Daniel 4 and 5. And and these are two chapters that taken individually can look at this idea of pride. But as you bring them together, you have an incredible story, I think, about family. And you have this story that calls us to wake up. This story that looks at this father and this son and how they respond to these different instances that they were called to wake up. And then after they woke up, they were called to remember, remember what was going on. And then they had to make a choice. And that's what we're going to look at tonight throughout Daniel 4 and 5. Sound good? Y'all on board? You with me? I need a little feedback. All right, cool. Let's pray and we'll get going. Father God, thank you so much for tonight. God, thank you that uh, I woke up on time tonight. God, um, what a what a blessing it is to be here. God, to be in the midst of your people, to be in your presence. God, I just pray that you would speak to us tonight. I believe you have a word for us. God, I believe you have some revelation for us tonight. Not just information, not just facts, but God, you are here to change lives because your presence is here, God. So I pray that you would rid me of myself. Whatever is from me, I pray would be forgotten and all that is from you would be remembered and and just put on our hearts, God, to move forward. God, we love you. We thank you that you love us and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So. We're looking at this idea of waking up. We're going to look at a story of a father and a son. But I want to talk a little bit about me and my dad. We, they, like I said, there's this idea of waking up. We're going into this idea of waking up, and we're looking at fathers and sons. And uh, for me, I was never the greatest person at waking up. This is me and my dad, and we have a great relationship, and I love my dad. Um, he's the best. His name's Winston. It's a great name. Um, and and uh, growing up, I would, uh, I wasn't the best at waking up. Do you guys know people that are really good at waking up that like don't need to set alarms and like they just have such a good internal clock that they just wake up on time? Do y'all know those people? Those people are the worst. Um, I'm just kidding. They're actually the best. I only think they're the worst because I'm not that person. It frustrates me. This is a fun fact though. This is a fun fact. I don't remember where I heard it, but I think, but I heard it somewhere. And so Apparently, if you say, before you go to sleep, I will wake up at 6.30 tomorrow, apparently you will wake up at 6.30 in the morning. I've tried it multiple times, and it's worked like twice ever, so I don't know if it's really real, but you can try it. I would encourage you to also set an alarm, just in case, a fail-safe. Um, yeah, have that in your back pocket. But I was not the best at waking up. And when I was a kid, when I was growing up, my dad would wake me up um, when, I was, when I was like a little toddler. And this, is, this was the process we would go through. We had a little process. Uh, he would first yell. He would say, hey, Christopher, wake up. And uh, if I didn't wake up at that point, which normally I didn't, he, my dad calls me Christopher. He's like, that's the name I gave you. I call you Christopher. Um, <laughs> if I didn't wake up, he would then walk into my room and he'd shake me and say, hey, Christopher, it's time to get up and wake up. And usually, again, if I didn't wake up, and I hated waking up, um, <laughs> the final straw is he would get a cup of water, and he would walk into my room, and he would pour water on my face and say, wake up. And at that point, I would wake up. It was great. I was wide awake. It worked. Um, it sounds mean, but it wasn't. We had a great relationship. Um, we still do. it, And uh, despite the watering on my face. Um, but it, this, is, uh, this would wake me up not waterboarding. This would wake me up in the morning. Um, and it was great. This was, this, is, this was my routine. This was my process. I would go through this process and it was awesome. Remember this idea that I would go through a three-step waking up process 
I, my dad gave me plenty of chances before I got the big guns of the water. Um, plenty of chances to wake up before that happened. Uh, I also realized as I was prepping for this story that I have lots of interesting wake-up stories. And I thought that was unique. But then I remembered that I've been alive for 28 years and woken up like every single day of my life. <laughs> and so that's like a lot of wake-up stories. So it's not that crazy that I have interesting ones. But there's one in particular that, uh, that stuck with me. Again, I think kind of interacts with this idea of me and my dad's relationship. Again, about this age, probably the age of the picture on the right where I'm in my dad's arms, I would uh, often get out of my bed and go crawl into bed with my parents. And I would always crawl in between them. And uh, I, I guess I wasn't like a sound sleeper. I moved around a lot. Um, and one time I was kind of kicking and my dad says, Christopher, if you keep kicking, I will kick you out of this bed. And... Um, <laughs> And I kick probably a couple more times. And he gets up. And he's like, all right, I'm kicking out of this bed. But as he gets up, he realizes that the electric blanket on the bed is on fire. So at that point, he was wide awake and got us out of the house, put out the fire and all that. And I saved my parents' life. And I was always... (laughs) From that moment on, I was always allowed to sleep in my parents' bed and kick as much as I wanted because I was the savior of the family. Yep. We could end now, too. This is great. I feel affirmed. And that's what this is about. This, this idea of waking up is going to be the theme that we go through tonight if you haven't picked up on that. And we're going to look at this story of a father and son. And we're going to get into the text right now. And we're going to look at, at Daniel. We're going to look at four different people in this story. We're going to look at Nebuchadnezzar, who we've already met. We're going to look at his son, Bel- Belshazzar. We're going to look at his wife a little bit. And we're going to look at Daniel. And so this comes, this happens right after. This is the next chapter, right after Kelsey finished and, uh, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been in the fiery furnace and come out. And this is the very next chapter. And we'll pick it up. I want to explain a little bit, a little disclaimers. We're going to start in the NIV, go through a couple chapters. Because I'm going through two books of the Bible, I'm going to take bits and pieces. This is not how you should always read the Bible in bits and pieces. Uh, and we're going to read in the NIV. Then we're going to read in the message. And then we're going to go back to the NIV just because it's going to be easier to digest for time's sake. All right. Daniel chapter 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace. I was contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. I was lying in bed. The images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, that's the word, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. And then we moved to Daniel. Chapter 4, verse 19 through 27 in the message. At first, Daniel, who had been renamed Belshazzar in Babylon, was upset after he had heard the dream. The thoughts that came swarming into his mind terrified him. Belshazzar, Daniel, the king said, stay calm. Don't let this dream and its interpretation scare you. Tell me what it is. My master, said Daniel, I wish this dream were about your enemies and its interpretation for your foes. The tree you saw in your dream that grew so large and sturdy with its top touching the sky, visible from the four corners of the world, the tree with the luxuriant foliage and the abundant fruit, enough for everyone. 
the tree under which animals took cover and in which birds built nests. You, O king, are that tree. You have grown great and strong. Your royal majesty reaches sky high and your sovereign rule stretches to the four corners of the world. But the part about the holy angel descending from heaven and proclaiming, chop down the tree, destroy it, but leave a stump in its roots in the ground, belted with a strap of iron and bronze in the grassy meadow. Let him be soaked with heaven's dew and take his meals in the grazing animals for seven seasons. This, O king, also refers to you. It means that the high God has sentenced my master, the king. You will be driven away from human company and live with the wild animals. You will graze on grass like an ox. You will be soaked in heaven's dew. This will go on for seven seasons, and you will learn that the high God rules over human kingdoms and that he arranges all kingdoms' affairs. The part about the tree and the stump's roots being left means that your kingdom will still be there after you learn that heaven runs all things. So king, take my advice. Make a clean break with your sins. Start living for others. Quit your wicked life. Look after the needs of the down and out. Then you will continue to have a good life. All of this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. 12 months after Daniel and him had talked, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is this not the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? He's got a big head. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what, this is what I decree for you. King Nebuchadnezzar, your royal authority has been taken from you. At the end of that, and right at that moment, Nebuchadnezzar went crazy and lived out in the fields for seven years. And we catch up after those seven years. And this is what it says. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the most high. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, uh, and, the, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. That's Nebuchadnezzar's story. Summarization. Gets a dream. Dream tells him that his pride will lead him to go crazy. His pride leads him to go crazy. Seven years later, he comes back to sanity and realizes the error of his ways and wakes up and remembers all that he was told. And he makes a choice to, to choose God, to praise God, to move forward, to move away from the things of the past. We pick up in Daniel 5. Nebuchadnezzar is out of the picture and his son, Belshazzar, is ruling. He has a very similar name to Daniel's Babylonian name. Belshazzar is now ruling. And Belshazzar is in a very similar situation as his father. He's throwing a party. He's having a party. And this crazy thing happens at the party. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. Just imagine a hand just appeared right here and started writing on the wall. Crazy. His face turned pale. That's what my face would do too. And he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, the astrologers, the diviners. Sounds familiar. 
And he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads the writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck. And he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they couldn't read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar, Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face became more pale. That's wild. Don't know how that happens. The nobles were baffled. Then the queen, this is actually his mother, hearing the voices of all the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There's a man in your kingdom. (laughs) That's funny. Don't look so pale. There's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, that's cool, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel. He'll tell you what the writing means. Okay. There's a lot of text. Thank you for hanging in there. This is crazy. We have a father. This father, he's the first person that we're going to look at in this story, Nebuchadnezzar. He has this dream. And we've already interacted with Nebuchadnezzar. He's already had a dream. Two weeks ago, Mike talked about this dream in chapter two. He talked about the fact that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. What did he do? He called on all the magicians, all the enchanters, all the diviners, all the astrologers, and he asked them to interpret the dream. And they couldn't do it. And then he finally calls on Daniel and his God. And Daniel comes through and he interprets the dream. And he makes Daniel like he appoints him to this high place. And then he has this crazy experience with Daniel's best friends where they make it through this furnace and they survive this furnace that his strongest men all died in. This is the last two stories we've heard of Nebuchadnezzar. Then we meet up with him. He has another dream. And what's the first thing he does? What would you do? Would you call on Daniel? It seems logical. Like, right? Am I right? Like, it just seems like the right thing to do. But what's he do? He does the same thing that he's done before. He goes and he calls on the enchanters, the diviners, the astrologers, and all that. It seems very repetitive, but it's repetitive for a reason. I think so often we can do that in our own lives. We go through something, something happens, we interact with it in one way, it doesn't work out for us, then we find out a better way. We move forward, then we interact with something similar, and we go do the exact same things. Why do we do that? Because we're human beings. But I think we can be better than that. So Nebuchadnezzar does. He finally calls on Daniel. And, and he comes to Daniel to interpret his dream. And he comes to Daniel's God. And, and Daniel is troubled. He's troubled. But at this point, the king remembers a little bit. The king remembers that Daniel is someone that can interpret his dreams. And he says, don't be scared. Just tell me what you have to say, even if it sucks, which is cool. The king's a little bit awake at this moment, right? He's woken up to the, the realities that he's facing and to the reality that Daniel and his guy can interpret the dreams. And he's stepping. He's choosing to remember what he had experienced before and making a choice to interact with Daniel and his God. And he asked Daniel to interpret the dream. And Daniel tells him what happened. And this is like... Think of this picture. Just like when my dad would wake me up once and then maybe even twice, sometimes I would choose to fall back asleep, even knowing that I was going to get water in my face. Daniel tells the king exactly what's going to happen to him. And what's the king do? Maybe he remembers for a little bit, but after a year, he forgets. And he metaphorically falls back asleep. And his pride wells up inside him. 
and he's walking on his kingdom and he says, look what I have done. And that's when the dream takes full effect and he falls asleep hard for seven years. He misses out on seven years of life because he didn't stay awake to what was being called to him. But then he wakes up. Water gets splashed in his face. It's awesome. He fully awakes. He takes his eyes towards heaven and he, he realizes and he remembers, oh my goodness, eight years ago, Daniel came to me and he told me what was gonna happen. And for the last eight years, for the last seven years, I've been, been in this state of mind where I have not had control. And now, now my eyes have been opened. I'm awake and he remembers. And from there on, he chooses. We see in his praise, he says, praise the God most high who knows all things. It's incredible. And this story, chapter four, if you go and read chapter four for yourself, it's like a journal entry. He starts out praising God and then he goes back and remembers all these things that helped him know how to praise God. It's pretty interesting. But then the very next chapter, we find his son. And I don't know, some time must have passed. We're gonna talk about Belshazzar now. Some time must have passed for this son to be ruling. And his father's out of the picture. And I don't know exactly, scholars don't know much about this king, um, but just recently they found out that he actually was a real person, which is cool. Like it's cool when things like biblical history and like real history collide. It's awesome. I nerd out on that. And some of you might too. Um, if not, whatever. Uh, and, and Belshazzar comes, uh, is now king. He's now ruling. He's having this party. And he's doing the same things as his dad. I don't know what happened. Seven years of his life, his dad was crazy. And then, like, all of a sudden, he's not. And he shows back up. Like, I think that would leave an imprint on you as a kid. I don't know. But apparently not enough of one on Belshazzar because he has forgotten all these things that he was called to by Daniel and by his father. And he is now, um, we find early in the story that he is defiling um, the, the Jewish temple and he is uh, throwing this party, uh, this debaucherous party in the Jewish temple. And God says to Belshazzar, he, he has this writing on the wall and, and Belshazzar does the exact same thing his dad does. He repeats the sins of his father. He doesn't remember what went on with his father. And he, because he does not remember, he repeats the sins of his father. And he does exactly the same thing. He calls on the enchanters, the diviners, the astrologers. He, then he takes it one step further. He doesn't even remember to call on Daniel and his God. This is where we have our third character in the story. We have the queen, mother. What a bossy lady in a good way, not in a bad way. Like Khalees would say, I think she's awesome. Um, and uh, she comes through and she's like, man, do you not remember Daniel? Do you not remember? Like we all have these people in our lives. Like they're the best people. Sometimes they frustrate us and annoy us because they're always saying these good things in us that we don't always want to hear. And it's like, hey, do you not remember Daniel? He helped out your father a ton. He could probably help you out here. And Belshazzar at this point is awakened up a little bit, a little bit. And he calls on Daniel and Daniel comes and interprets the dream and, or not the dream, the writing on the wall. And actually what Daniel tells you for sake of time, we didn't read it. What he tells him is that if the king does not relinquish his pride and, and humble himself before God, that night he will die is what he is told. And, and it seems very harsh. It seems like quite the... Um, the quick set of judgment on this king, but realize that this king was the son of another king who had gone through all the same motions with Daniel and his God before. 
He had already interacted with Daniel and his God once when he had a dream. And Daniel told him, humble yourself, repent, give yourself to the Lord. He didn't listen. Again, he has another dream. Humble yourself, repent, humble yourself before the Lord. He doesn't do it. Seven years. He loses seven years of his life. Then finally he's awakened and he humbles himself finally and finally repents. And so Belshazzar has seen all this and if not seen it, he's heard all this before. And he comes to this point where Daniel, the same man who worships the same God, who told his father these same things, is telling him, repent, humble yourself before God, or else you will die tonight. And Belshazzar metaphorically pulls the covers over his head, goes right back to sleep, doesn't listen to Daniel. And that night he dies. Fun story, right? This brings us to our fourth character in the story. It's Daniel. Daniel, years ago, had woken up. Years ago, Daniel was awakened. And we read about it when he comes over in chapter one and he says, your ways are not my ways. I will continue to follow the ways of my God. He remembers, he knows who he is. And Daniel lives a life devoted to remembering his God and reminding others and pointing others towards his God in hopes that people will wake up too. In hopes that they will remember that they can choose to experience life with God, with the God of the universe. The world may change around Daniel and Daniel may even change with the world, but his God remains the same and Daniel's commitment to his God remains the same. Because of that, he continually steps into whatever life throws at him. The themes of this story. The first one, wake up. Wake up. I think we have a slide. Wake up. Someone said, the person in the back, wake up. I'm not going to say that. You're doing great. (laughs) You're doing a great job. Um, It says, wake up. We have different characters in the story that have been called to wake up, that have been called to realize what is going on around them. So often in our lives, we have to wake up to the things that are going on in our lives. What are you sleeping on right now? Where are you asleep in your life? Where in your life do you need to wake up? I guarantee there's places. So once they wake up, the next thing that happens is they need to remember. Just like myself, when I woke up on that night that I needed to speak at the end and I was running a half hour late, I remembered the things that I needed to do, the things that I was missing out on and where I needed to go. Why is remembering important? There's this incredible clip of, of this, uh, this man named Louis Farrakhan. He is a controversial leader throughout um, history, but... He has this incredible quote where he is on this TV show in the 80s and this lady asks him a question. She says, why can't, they're talking about black civil rights and, 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 um, and why there is a bunch of black people bringing up all the sins of the past. And she asks him, why can't we just forget all the evil that's been done and start where we're at right now, where it's so much better, where we have so much more equality? Why do we have to keep bringing up years of slavery and oppression? 
I am poor and I pulled myself up from my bootstraps and I'm doing okay. Why can't we start where it's equal? And Louis Farrakhan responds in this way. He says that we can't forget the past. And he talks about the Jewish culture and he brings up this fact. The Jews are really good at remembering. They celebrate Passover every year, which is remembering when they're taken out of Egypt. And he brings up the fact that the Jews will continually bring up the Holocaust. And he says that they will continually bring up the Holocaust and the atrocities that were done to them during the Holocaust so that we will always remember how they were treated, what happened to them, and we will never let it happen again. And he said the same thing is happening with people of color bringing up the ways that they have been oppressed, the ways that they have been pushed down, the ways that they have been hurt, the ways that they have been kept down so that we will not forget and we will never let it happen again to people of color or anybody else. It's not just for people of color, but it happened to people of color. So we cannot forget. This is why it's important to remember. So we don't repeat the sins of the past so we can move forward. And that brings us to our third thing. We make a choice. We have a choice. I could have chose on that day when I fell asleep and I slept through my alarms to just pull the covers back over my head, just like Belshazzar did. I could have said, I'm already late for the end. How many of you do this with class? I used to do this with class all the time. I had an 8 a.m. class. It was, it was astronomy, and I hated it. I, I signed up because a girl signed up for it, and so I didn't even want to take astronomy. It was an 8 a.m. class, and I kid you not, that entire class, every, every time that class came, I would either sleep in and sleep through the class and miss it, or I'd wake up, go to class, and fall asleep in class. I failed that class. It's true. Take that as a warning. Don't sleep through your classes. That's what I could have done. I had a choice to make. I could have gone back to sleep. Nebuchadnezzar had choices to make. He made the wrong choice three times in a row. And then he finally made the right choice and acknowledged God. He woke up. He remembered what went on. And he made a choice and he moved forward. Belshazzar woke up. He remembered a little bit. He remembered Daniel. He remembered he made a choice to go back to sleep. And he, he died. He lost out on the life that was being offered to him. So what does that have to do with us? If you haven't picked up on it, I think it has a lot to do with us. But it reminds me of a story back about me and my dad. I think it's a couple more pictures. This is me and my dad about two years ago. And my dad grew up in Belize. And, um, and that picture on the left is the house my dad grew up in. It's actually extended. It's bigger than it used to be. <laughs> and he grew up with... Uh, with five, with uh, four sisters and another brother and his mom and his dad. That picture on the right is the church that my dad uh, came to know Jesus in and um, changed his life. My dad, growing up in that house with five bro brothers and sisters and his mom, uh, that's where he woke up in that house. And he would continually wake up to my grandfather, who was an alcoholic, who would abuse alcohol and abuse my grandmother. And he woke up to that for 11 years of his life till my grandfather drunk himself to death. And on my grandfather's deathbed, my father woke up to the reality that he never wanted that to be the type of father that he was. And he remembered all that his, his father had done to him and to his family. And he said, never again. 
And so for the rest of my dad's life, for his whole life, he doesn't touch alcohol at all. And it's a conscious choice that he makes because he saw the effects of alcohol on his family and said, that is not going to be the life I have for my daughter and my son. And that's not the life that we experience. We have a great relationship. My dad lost his dad at 11. I still have my dad at 28. It's incredible. That's great for my dad. Great. He made a hard choice, a hard decision. Cool. How do we make those hard decisions? I wish it was that easy. It reminds me of another story of another man that is like a father to me, like more like a grandfather to me. His name's John Perkins. And John Perkins uh, was a civil rights leader. And John Perkins uh, found himself in the middle of, of um, the 50s. He found himself in a jail cell. And he was in this jail cell. And at this moment, he was getting beat to death by a white police officer. And in this moment, as he's getting beat by this police officer, hate is dwelling and rising up in John Perkins' heart. And as this hate for this cop is boiling through his heart, something is awoken in John. And John remembers that the same sin, the same evil and the same hate that's in his heart for this cop is the same evil and the same sin and the same hate that's causing this cop to beat him up. And at this moment, John has a choice to make. John can either continue to pull the covers over his head and sleep metaphorically in the hate that he has for this police officer and dedicate his life to revenge, or he can wake up to the reality that the only thing that will beat that sin is Jesus and love. Dr. King said it, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So John Perkins then dedicated his life to reconciliation between races and ethnicities. And now Mississippi and across the world, John Perkins has these centers and has these places that are devoted to bringing communities of people of color and white people together to learn how to live and do life holistically together. It's incredible. Dude goes around the world teaching and preaching on this. There's this verse in Ephesians. I'm almost done. Stick with me. There's this verse in Ephesians that says, it's Ephesians 5.14. It says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. Christ will shine upon you. Wake up from your sleep. Climb out of your coffin. Christ will show you the light. Above all else, this is the truth we must remember, that Jesus died for our sins, that Jesus lived, died, and rose again so that the evil, the hurt, the pain, the things of this life that want to cause us to push back with evil, pain, and hurt, they do not win. That's the thing that is waking us up. This is what set Daniel apart. This is eventually what set my dad apart in this church where he came to know Jesus. So it wasn't just the fact that he saw the evil and atrocity that his dad put on him, but then he came to know Jesus in the love and kindness and goodness that Jesus was shining down on his face. And he chose that every day of his life. Otherwise, I guarantee I would have drove him to drink. That was annoying. I kicked in the bed. That's the same thing that sets John Perkins apart, is Jesus. And that's the same thing that's going to set us apart, is Jesus. When we wake up to a world around us in all of its awesomeness and in all of its faults, when we remember the awesomeness of each other, of people that are different than us, when we come to remember the shortcomings in ourselves and of our communities, 
when we ultimately remember that Jesus is the one who redeems it all, that he is for us and he's with us and he chose to make his face to shine upon us. When we remember that and we choose to live from that place, that's what a renewed life looks like. And that's what we're interacting with in the book of Daniel in this quarter. Sound good? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for all that you've done. God, help us to wake up, help us to remember, help us to choose you. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen.